your news, your entertainment, your business. We're on a mission from God. This is the Rich Rothman Show. Okay, here's the message. Good afternoon, everybody. It's 5 o'clock straight up. This is Rich Rothman on 880 The Biz. Welcome to the show. Welcome to be with me, and I'm glad to have you with me. If you're driving home right now and you're going up I-95, take your time, relax. Ain't nothing you can do about it, so just enjoy the trip. Listen to the music. Listen to us. And um, if you're not moving, talk to the person in the car next to you. So the new express lane, did that start yet today? That starts on Friday. Oh, Friday. Yeah, you can today. use it for free today and tomorrow, and yeah. then uh, Friday you're going to start getting charged for it. So well, Occasionally I use it, but it's not any faster yet. Maybe once I actually start charging, it'll uh, speed up a little bit. You know, it really depends what time you hit that, because sometimes I can go 80 miles an hour straight up the road, nothing happens. And other times, the other lanes are doing better than I am. So I would be upset if the other lanes are doing better than me and I'm paying for it. That would that would just kind of pique my uh, that would ruin my day. That would just really make me ticked off. But uh, hopefully that that won't be the case in most uh, times. Using it. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, very interesting day today. Um, you know the market was up again. It, man, the market was all over the place. It was swinging two hundred points all over the place. But it ended up one hundred and seventy two points. Uh, one seventy two sixty for the Dow. The Nasdaq was up forty two fifty eight, and the S and P was up twenty one ninety three. They all up about two two percent. Two and a half percent for the S and P, two point nine, almost three percent on the Nasdaq. So we're glad to hear about that. Interesting day. Uh, uh, the Thai airports reopen. So if any of you have relatives stuck in Thailand, they'll be coming home anytime in the next seven to ten days. <laughs> so that's the way that goes. But uh, listen. So yesterday we were discussing, um, you know, trainables who get elected to Congress, and of course Harry Reid came up right away, his name. And uh, so I thought we, uh, Alex put together just a little little nice tune for you that will just make you feel better while you're sitting in traffic. So take a listen to this that Alex put together, and then we'll talk about Harry Reid. This war is lost. I'm just wild about Harry. This war is lost. And Harry's wild about me. This war is lost. The heavenly blisses of his kisses fills me with You could ecstasy. literally smell the tourists coming into the capital. He's sweet just like chocolate candy. Lost. Or like the honey from a bee. Oh, I'm just wild about Harry. And he's just wild about me. I don't think we force people. Taxation is not forceful? Well, no. In, it's voluntary? In fact, in fact quite to the contrary. Our, our system of government is a voluntary tax system. But this war is lost. Okay, so that give you a slight idea where we're going with Harry Reid today, or maybe not going anywhere with Harry Reid. But we're so fortunate that we have more. We're going to have a few more years of Harry Reid, so we have a lot more to put together for you. So we went ahead, and, and uh, we're, we're going to break out some of these conversations. Of course, yesterday, uh, what was the comment yesterday when he was talking about the, uh, you know, I can, oh, you know what? Oh, my God, it would have been so great. Get the Matrix. We'll have to do it for tomorrow. Uh, let's talk about the smelling, you know, the body odor of those who are, Coming into Congress, this is what he really thinks about this the constituents. Facility here is um, really terrific, for lack of a better way to describe it. My staff has always said, "Don't say this," but I'm going to say it again because it's so descriptive. Because it's true. Leader Boehner mentioned that tourists lined up in summer and winter, long lines coming into the Capitol in the summertime because the high humidity and how hot it gets here, 
you could literally smell the tourists coming into the capital. <laughs> and that may be descriptive, but it's true. Well, you know, I, I don't know why they're laughing. I don't quite understand these. See, Harry Reid, to me, defined, well, aside from being moronic, uh, Harry Reid defines the effete snobism that I find out there in politics. Yes, none of his constituents were there. They might not have thought it was so funny. Yeah, I mean, it's really hysterical, Harry, but you see, that, that building is not your building, Harry. You may, you may be the Senate major, uh, you know, the majority leader in the Senate, which is a remarkable, which really shows you that the American dream is not dead. Because those who can't can still do, and those who can still do can achieve great things in this country, even if you don't have the stuff to back it up. But uh, so I guess, wow, I guess he does define Americanism for us. But Harry, you know, do not forget that that building that these people are walking in is their building. It's their money. They paid for it. You know, they have the right to uh, to get in. I guess you don't like those people very much. It just kind of annoys me. But it, it, you know, if it were just one stupid comment from Harry. Then you can say, well, you know, he probably roamed in the desert a lot because he comes from Nevada. And uh, maybe he just hung out in the sand too much or Red Rock Canyon or something like that. But there are a lot of other things with him. Let's go to another one. What's, what's the next one you got over there? Oh, we can hear uh, Cole Makes Us Sick, let's go. Yeah, let's go to Cole Makes Us Sick. Oil makes us sick. It's global warming. It's ruining our country. It's ruining our world. We've got to stop using fossil fuel. We have, for generations, taken it out of the earth, carbon out of the earth, and put it in the atmosphere, and it's making us all sick. I don't know. Are you sick, Alex? Yeah, I did uh, feel a little bit under the weather today. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it was yeah, a little you know. chilly this morning, so that global warming is really getting me today. Seriously, you, you know, know, that crazy global really? warming. I'm just a little confused, because in the 70s, you see, they were saying that we were going to go into an ice age. And now, just 30 years later, we're actually in global warming, so... I wish they would get that straight, Harry. But uh, you see, here's the thing that scares me about that. About 50% of our energy, we're talking major energy uh, distribution in this country, which means the electric grid and manufacturing and steel, you know, things that actually are important to this country, are produced as a result of coal. So if Harry really wants us to get off of coal because it makes us sick, he better have a way to, to produce electric and steel and other products. And I don't know if Harry really has that together yet. You don't think he has it together yet, do you? No, Alex is saying I don't that. think he has no, anything, no, together, he hasn't anything together yet. But the good news is he works with his best friend, Nancy Pelosi, who we'll talk about some other time, but not right now. But we're coming up on the break. We're going to come back uh, after just a few minutes. I'm on a break right now. This is the way it goes. Yeah, we're on a break. We're going to come back on uh, 880 The Business is Rich Rothman on The Rich Rothman. So don't go anywhere. we got lots more trainable comments for you. Let's go surfing now. Schwaffman Show. She stood in the Okay, welcome back. 11 minutes after the hour. The number here is 866-954-4276. That's 866-954-4276. So we, we're talking about Harry Reid and some of the Reidisms and, of course, the training and sort of, I think, I don't know, for some reason, Nurse Ratchet comes to mind and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest comes to mind. But let's look at some of those those comments that he actually made. And um, Alex, you can you can hit any one of the uh, the cuts because they're all similar. So hit one cut that you really like, and we'll listen to Harry speak I for don't a second. Think we force people. Taxation is not forceful. Well, no, it's, it's voluntary. Fact, in fact, quite to the contrary, our our system of government is a voluntary tax system. 
Oh, if you don't want to pay your taxes, you don't have to? Oh, of course you have to pay your taxes. But well, the government will force you to pay or they'll fine you or imprison you. We, they we, have, we have a voluntary system. Uh, this, the fact of the matter is that if uh, uh, when you pay your taxes, you see, in many other countries, it's not voluntary. For example, in, in many countries, the government makes sure that your employer takes out every penny. In many countries don't file income tax returns. We have Why? withholding here, too, don't we? Pardon me? Withholding? With some programs, yes. But, but I'm talking about in some countries, European countries as an example, there, there, you don't file income tax return. There is no need to because your employer takes all the money out. Okay, well, anybody out there on the car right now at 866-954-4276 and you're working for a corporation, anybody not take taxes out? I mean, that. Yeah, I know that a lot of people make fun of Sarah Palin and the interview she's had. I mean, that to me, that's right up there. I mean, that's just rambling. I mean, oh, I think he's worse. I, mean, I think he might be. Yeah, no, I think he's worse. At least as bad, if not worse, because what is he talking you about? You see, Sarah Palin isn't that bad. Sarah Palin couldn't be Sarah Palin. When minute she, she hit the stage in the limelight... The uh, Republican Party put a, a muzzle on her, and she couldn't be who she wanted to be. And uh, whether you approve of some, of some of her thoughts and or not, I don't approve of everything she said because I, I believe in choice. I'm not to the far right on on a, a woman's body. I think a woman should have the right to decide what to do with the body, uh, except with postpartum, um, you know, uh, abortions. Uh, Post uh, birth, uh, pre birth, you know, or a partial birth. Partial birth. That's the word for. I'm looking for. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't get to it. Um, but but I don't think she is. Her comments were not as stupid as the comments I'm hearing from Harry Reid. First of all, you you do have to pay your taxes because you don't pay your taxes. I got to tell you something. You, you are in really big trouble in this country. As far as um, for example, coal is concerned, you know he he runs with these ideas. I don't know where he gets all his ideas from. He he reads things sort of like you know Al Gore's you know the the, the book of Al Goreisms, the the religion of uh, of anti energy and anti energy policy. Where Gore says, you know, the, the world is sick. The earth is sick. The earth has a fever. The earth has a fever. And, and, you know, and when a baby has a fever, you take it to the doctor. And, you know, Harry Reid was probably there writing all this down and getting, taking copious notes on all of this, saying that the earth must go to the doctor and you must look into this tomorrow morning and see if you can get an appointment. I think maybe Harry, Harry Reid might have written the script for Al Gore. It's very possible. He went on. So, so this is a very scary guy. And what I think really bothers me about Harry, I think he's so out of touch with mainstream and real America that uh, I, I, it's just remarkable that he got to be the, the majority leader in the Senate with such a naive, small-town uh, thinking process. And, and, and just let me think of some of the things that people called him. Um, a douche uh, the other day. That, that didn't work very well. A moron. And we went on the street, and what's the comment that we got about him? We, we, we got a really good, incisive comment about him. So you can play that one. Stupid is, stupid does, sir. Well, that kind of sums it up, I think, don't you? Stupid is, stupid does, sir. That, that sums it up. You know, is he stupid? Well, as he does. So I guess he's doing really good, stupid things. Good old Harry Reid that we're talking about. So, um, so w what concerned me was the, the, uh, the CEOs in, uh, in Congress coming up from uh, Detroit, coming over from Detroit. And, of course, Harry was involved in that a little bit, and a lot of other congressional people were involved in it. And uh, such a big to-do was made about uh, the, uh, the guys flying in on their you know, private jets. It's still a big deal today. Did we, did we have time to get that cut? Were you able to find that? 
or or not yet? Yeah, I think I have it. Uh, it's unedited, but I can play it for you right off the uh, the YouTube. Yeah, I want to play that cut with the uh, senator uh, questioning them about raising their hands. If you can find that, that'd be a good one for the audience to listen to. Don't listen to this. For help was undercut by news of corporate excess. ABC News reported the big three CEOs flew to Washington to ask for taxpayer money on costly company jets. It's almost like seeing a guy show up at the soup kitchen in high hat and tuxedo. I'm going to ask the three uh, executives here to raise their hand if they flew here commercial. Let the record show no hands went up. Second, going to ask you to raise your hand if you're planning to sell your jet in place now and fly back commercial. Okay, hold it there. So... Uh, did, was that question asked of anybody else testifying in Congress, and particularly those who already got money? No. Th- th- no one was asked that question. Of sort of like not. the AIG guys. How many of you flew in here on your private jets? Probably all of them did. And did, did they ask the question after they gave them the, eight, the first $83 billion? Now it's up to almost $200 billion. Um, how many of you are going to go spend $400,000 this weekend in a Southern California uh, exclusive resort? Anybody there at the St. Regis? Anybody going to do that? They didn't ask that question. So where do they have the audacity? Would Congress have the audacity? This is all for the media. This is all grandstanding. This is all nonsense. This is all pandering to the crowd. This is the dumbing down of America. Now, I don't know. I, I, we had this conversation. You can fly a corporate jet. You're a large corporation. You own them. To ask them, are you going to sell them? What type of a stupid rhetorical question is that? You know, he knew the answer. Everyone knew it. There is no answer. Just an, an amazingly way to humiliate and embarrass these people. Now, having said that, having said that, this is my opinion, and I really would like you to call me at 866-954-4276 and give me your opinion. To, to, uh, uh, to, uh, first of all, I don't feel like you have to humiliate these CEOs. It's unimportant. Number two, that doesn't solve the problem. I mean, what are you helping by it doesn't solve humiliating the problem. them? It, it all has all, nothing you're, to yeah, do with all the you're doing is riling up the people watching at home are like, yeah, we hate CEOs. Right. So then people say, well, let them go down the tubes, and you know, people deal in emotion, and then after they go down the tubes and we're in a depression you know, or, or an extremely deep recession. I mean, it's just amazing to me how these CEOs get vilified so much. I mean, they, they try to make these guys look like they're the cartoon bad guys with the little curly mustaches tying you to the railroad tracks. Like, these guys are so horrible. Well, you know, that, that's, that's a good thing you said that, Alex, because today they were talking, and, they, and someone was saying on, the, uh, on the, uh, uh, one of the talk stations, CNBC, that I think these guys should have come in in clown cars because, you know, they're all, they're all driving now. Now you have some of these big CEOs, and by the way, Rick Wagner is tall, so he is big, uh, uh, in, in, in hybrids. They're driving hybrids in from Detroit. It's about a nine-and-a-half to ten-hour trip, and, uh, which is all for grandstanding also, also for the media. So everyone can say, oh, you know, see, we showed them. We got them into, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's also a really good advertisement for the escape hybrid. I think that's actually another smart move. That's, good what, marketing. They're fly- that's what they're driving. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really good marketing right there. People are going to see this. They're going to take a look at that new hybrid. That, that, exactly. And, and well, that's the Ford guys. Now, the, uh, the GM guys, I can, I can assure you that uh, the CEO, Rick Wagner, is not going to be in a small car. Well, the Escape is kind of a small SUV. My neighbors have one, and it's not a big. It's a cute little car, you know, kind of boxy thingy. Well, and that's another discussion I have about SUVs. But he's going to come, and probably the extended cab um, hybrid Cadillac uh, Escalade, because that's going to be comfortable and so forth. I don't blame him. It's a long trip. 
You know, they have a lot to do. You want to be comfortable when you get here. I don't think it's a smart idea to drive here and have these guys be on, on top of their game when they're being testified and, and being under oath in front of uh, when the testifying being under oath in front of Congress. I just don't think, think that's necessary to to do that to them. It just doesn't make sense to me that we need to do that. But there was a very interesting piece I think you folks should be listening to. The number is 866-954-4276. Get involved in this. Tell me what you think about this. Do you think these guys should have driven in by their car? Yeah, do you think they should have flown in their jets? Do you think they should have just booked out the first-class section of uh, a commercial jet? Uh, do you think they should have hitched? Maybe hitching would be a good thing for them to do. That would show America that they're really uh, sorry for what they did. But, Take one of those big rigs, like they're on their way to drop off tomatoes at various parts of the country, and you yes, hitchhike would, on one of those, they'll drop you off in Washington. They could do that. You know, they, they, could, they could very well do that. You know, the funny thing is, you were just discussing uh, GM and Ford. I'm not sure what Chrysler had. I can't think of a hybrid that Chrysler has in it. No, they're all gas cars. They're all gas cars. Like. You see, the thing that intrigues me, and, and we're going to get to this comment in a minute, uh, by uh, Froma Harrop. Here's a great name for you. I've never met a Froma, and I've never known a Harrop. Uh, when you think of Ford, Ford has a number of small cars out that are hybrids, and if they've been pushing very heavily, they're a smaller line. That's why they wound up uh, giving the car to the, uh, and paying for product placement in the new James Bond movie. You know, and uh, they've got the new Ford um, Fusion uh, that's a very European-based car, which is what's going to be yeah, here. Yeah, I remember I was looking for cars. I just bought a new car six months ago. I ended up with a Civic, but I was looking at Ford first because I really wanted to buy American, and I was kind of between the Ford Focus and the Ford uh, the Ford Fusion, and the Fusion didn't have good enough gas mileage for me, and the Ford Focus was fine, but it was just too small. Yeah. Not enough legroom in the back seat. Yeah, it's so, not enough know. car yet. It, 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 that's, not, that's not the answer. You know, no. They're in this transition point, and it's all going to change. But Ford... Uh, is really making, I think they're making great strides. I mean, obviously, Mullaly said today that he doesn't want the cash. He just wants a credit line, and he wants to go into the credit line uh, if he needs it. But he thinks that with the money that's in place right now that they did a year ago, they're going to be okay. Uh, that could be a bunch of brouhaha. We don't know. Uh, but I, anyway, so I'm thinking, you know, Ford uh, is, is moving forward with interesting-looking cars. And I can think of smaller cars that they're coming out with. Now, Chrysler, I don't understand anyway. I never, I never understood Chrysler Corporation in the last 10 years. There isn't a car that they make except for maybe the new Challenger. I think the Jeeps are okay. Their Jeep line is fine. No, I didn't even think that's okay anymore. I think really? the Jeep uh, was okay, and I think they, they screwed around with the design of the Jeep so much, the Liberty looks like it could tip over at any time. Yeah, that is true. It's I, a small, high center of gravity is middle and high. And I just wouldn't want a corner with that. I just I don't like the car. So yeah, you know, it, Gloria had a uh, a Jeep uh, Cherokee Sport Cherokee back in the '90s, one of those boxy things. That, yeah, my mother had one of those. Yeah, everyone in the had 90s. one. Yeah, I mean, they, they never broke. No. It's like, hey, let's take the Jeep. How long have you had it? Fifty-seven thousand years, but it <laughs> runs great. You know what I mean? We got to change plugs every you know couple hundred it's been thousand miles. Passed months. down from generation yeah, to generation. I mean, ever since Archimedes, we've had this Jeep. It's amazing. <laughs> But um, uh, but but after that, I, I don't know what Chrysler has that really excites me. I never liked the the what was the one the new Hemi that came out with a few that big four door. You know, I think with uh, with the Dodge lines, they're starting to try to bring back old cars. Like they have the new Charger out now. Ah, no, stop right there, Alex. Yeah. I happen to have had one of those. In fact, I'll bring the picture in tomorrow, and we can show the audience. Oh, that's right, we're on radio. Can't do that. But uh, I had a '69 Dodge Post it Charger. On the website. I had a gold. And black vinyl top 69 Dodge Charger with the big 383. And uh, the car was terrific. And it was a two-door fastback, you know, 
really fast car. I mean, this car flew. Nothing ever broke on the car, by the way. It was just a terrific car. Great car. Now, to, then you compare that car, which I'll show you tomorrow, to the Charger of today. Oh, there's no comparison. It's like, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. It's, what happened? It's, it's a good marketing Where did it go? Though. Where's the, where's the yeah. sexiness the, for yeah. America? There is absolutely no sexiness, but the car has a lot of power, and when you hear Charger, it, it gets people excited. Yeah, but you people know are what? buying it. Alex, couldn't you have a lot of power and at the same time have a sexy-looking car? I think the cars look like crap. Oh, of course. I think you and me, we're too smart to get duped by that, but I think a lot of people have been I duped. won't buy one. Now, the, jar, the Dodge Challenger. Now, the Challenger was a really hot car back in the 70s. You know, 1971, 72, hot cars. I wish I owned one. I wish I kept. I wish I kept my Dodge Charger because they go for eighty thousand dollars and up. I paid thirty two hundred all out, and that had air conditioning. Wow! I mean, that was just an you know four speed, her shifting on the floor, bucket seats, all the. It was just wild. It was a great car. But so, but here's a company, Chrysler, for example, that produced sexiness in cars. They produced swept wing cars. No, those cars, you know, just typified the 50s. You couldn't get by without getting excited about a swept wing car. You remember the Dodge uh, Royal Lancers with the swept wing? And the, and the, think of the movie Christine, and you had the Plymouth with the swept wing, and the DeSoto with the swept wing, and the Imperial with the swept wing. They were exciting, great cars. The, uh, the Chrysler Hemi engine in, in a C, you know, the C or the D uh, Chrysler, uh, that was run at Sebring. They're sexy cars. But what happened to that today? All of that has somewhat disappeared. All of it. You know, all of that sexiness that they put out in the 50s. Uh, I mean, songs were written about, you know, yeah, they, uh, they've lost the their cars. touch. You know, absolutely. Absolutely forgot about it. So, yeah, play that a little. What do you got on there right now? I know it's the Beach Boys. Actually, I got to change the song. Oh, the I did, song that's the wrong song. Let's go find something fast and sexy. Here we go. Right. T-Bird. T-Bird. Fun, fun, fun. Now, T-Bird, they all were into this for a while. Detroit was putting out, in the 50s and the 60s, hot cars. They defined America. They defined who we were. They were part of that dream that we wanted, the American dream. Right. And we cruise. They actually really do have great hamburger stands over in L.A. When I was there a couple weeks ago, man, they've got some good burgers. Baby, they got the hamburger beach. stands all over the oh, United they, States. Well, yeah, but they got great ones over there, I'm telling you. You go to the uh, Venice Beach Boardwalk, oh, so good. It's a T-Bird. So the T-Bird was a whole era for Ford and the Ford Convertibles and the first hardtop convertible. And then you had the Chrysler with the swept wing. And then you had GM, and you had the GM. Let's go over to 409. Uh, and you had GM with powerful engines. They all had powerful engines, but uh, GM had one that was the 409. The Beach Boys immortalized that. There you go. Listen to this one for a second. She's real fine, my 409. She's real fine, my 409, my 409. Right. So... So it became part of America, and I guess we embraced General Motors, and we embraced Ford Motor Company, yeah, and start we embraced more, Chrysler. Start making more songs about these cars. I think that was the best marketing right there. Bring back the Beach Boys. It was pervasive in our acculturation process because cars were part of us. Look where we are now as compared to where we were then. Now, we, we don't deify the, the car companies, and oh my God, I wish I had a Corvette. You know, Route 66 sold a lot of cars. I couldn't wait 
until I got comfortable enough in life that I could own a Corvette. You know, the first thing I did when I sold my first company, I, I bought a Corvette. Hmm. You know, I kept it for a few years, sold it for almost the same amount of money I bought it for. Not bad. Years later. All right, bought another Corvette. Five years later, four years later, a new model came out. And I drove it. And, and you know what? I'd love to have another Corvette because they're so much fun. But why? Why did we want that, guys? Listen to that in your car right now. You think about that. It was all part of our upgrading, and we loved American cars. Loved them. Now, what do we do with American cars? We asked the car companies, how many of you flew in? Raise your hand. And my second question is, how many of you uh, are going to be selling your corporate jets and taking a commercial jet home? That's how far we've fallen from grace with the American car companies. And we are allowing, i got to tell you something, when I look at cars like the you know, Toyotas and some of these other cars coming from you know, the Japanese markets, they just they don't, they don't do it for me. No, I mean, they're not sexy at all. It's there all isn't about, a Toyota that I want. All about efficiency is what all, it is now. Do they make a good car? You bet. Yeah. Do they make a car that will survive a long time? Yeah. Do they get great gas mileage? Yeah. Are they sexy cars? No. I don't think so. They're, not, they're just not there for me. Is there hope for America? Come on, America. Of course there's hope. There is hope for us because we define the car market. Now, if those guys sitting in Washington can get their act together and say, you know what, we're going to get that back. We're going to make that plan work. We're going to produce cars that don't weigh three and a half tons and get, you know, oh, my God, with a hybrid engine, it's going to get 20 miles per gallon. I'm listening to Sean Hannity talk about that, saying my, his new Escalade gets 20 miles to the gallon. I think that's bogus. That's an Escalade hybrid. On, They're getting man. 20 miles a gallon on the Who hybrid. 20? Come on. Come on. Let's well, start let's getting know. 35, 40, 50 miles. And you know what? If they could do that, if they could produce the sex again and produce that, they got us. Heart, mind, spirit. And they get our money. We'll be right back. This is Rothman on 880 The Biz. This is the Rich Rothman Show. Okay, welcome back. It's 34 minutes after the hour. It's uh, Rich Rothman on the Rich Rothman Show, 880 The Biz, AM radio, which you already know because you pumped it up in your car already. Um, we're going to have uh, – so we're going we're gonna to get college credit right now this half of the hour, uh, this part of the hour. Uh, we're going to have Don – Dr. Donald C. Martin on the phone. Don has a, a book out, Roadmap for Graduate Study, a guide for prospective graduate students. And uh, I want to welcome Dr. Martin to the show. How are you, sir? Hello there, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing great. Let me ask you a quickie. Are you in Chicago today? I am in Chicago, and it's absolutely beautiful. Well, that's glad. My son lives in Chicago. He just we just went back up to Chicago. How about that? He attends. He's getting his master's at DePaul, and then wonderful. Uh, he'll be getting his PhD at uh, one of your alma mater, I think Northwest. You went to Northwestern. I went to Northwestern. I'm a wildcat, absolutely. Well, my son's pretty wild. So there you have it. <laughs> wild and crazy guys, it's cats so and dogs it. living together. But no, he loves Chicago. I think Chicago is a terrific place to live it, and go to school. It is my favorite. Honestly, I've traveled all over the world. I've been to 61 countries. Chicago is still my favorite place. And it's a good it. song. 
So yes, just, it does. What Absolutely. more do you want to ask for, Don? Well, that's it. It's been a fun interview. I want to thank you for being thank on the show. Thank you so much. Good it's for you. Great. Uh, no, listen, uh, and, and on top of which, uh, should I call you Donald, Don, uh, uh, Dr. Call, Martin? Please call me Don. That's uh, fine. All right, Don. Hi, great. Uh, if we did Dr. Martin, then John Lennon could have done a song about you if that's he knew that. exactly. But maybe, maybe we'll do that next time. Yeah, Dr. Robert. So there you go. Uh, my other son, who's 18, is now getting accepted into colleges. He's graduating okay. in a few months, and uh, today... He got into FSU today. He got into FAU about a month ago, and wow. he's he's got six other schools that he's waiting on. These are his uh, his Florida schools that he applied Congratulations to. Congratulations so, to him. That's great. He's two for two. Yeah, he's no, he's real excited. He's a great kid. You'd like him. So I'm listen, sure let, let's get first of all, Donald. Let's. I know you have a book out, and I and do. I read your book, and and, and it's is perfect because my I just went through this whole process with yes. Michael Chris, my older son. Okay. But uh, roadmap for graduate study: a guide for prospective graduate students. Now, That's right. let's first of all, what's your background in this, so people know who you are. Well, I spent 28 years, Rich, working in the field of higher education, primarily in graduate admissions, financial aid, and student services. God, you sound uh, so young. <laughs> <laughs> working with young people keeps you young. Yeah, it's great. I agree. It, it, was, it was an amazing career. And toward the last five to ten years of, of what I was doing, it became apparent to me that there wasn't a lot of information out there for folks that were thinking about graduate school, be they coming right out of college or be they older, as I was when I got both of my graduate degrees. There just wasn't a lot there to guide them through the process. So I started putting a roadmap uh, together and published it earlier this year, and it's, it's really for the purpose of helping people navigate this process and hopefully discover that getting a graduate education is a bit easier and, and not as expensive as some people may think. Well, let's, let's kind of do a little chronology of life in, in, in this great country, America. When yeah. I, I went to college in the 60s to the early 70s. I, okay. I, I, went, I started in 64, and I finished with my postgraduate work in 72. Okay. And, um, and in those days, if you didn't have a bachelor's degree, you were in big trouble. That's right. I mean, my parents, you know, coming from this nice middle-class New York Jewish family, you're going to go to college, and by the way, you're going to go where your sister went. <laughs> and that's, that's the end of that conversation. Let's that go for Chinese it. food. Yep. And, um, and, uh, and, and then you really need to get a master's degree. Now, they didn't push me for a Ph.D., Okay. No, they didn't ask me to go into postgraduate work, which I did. But, All right. uh, but the but a graduate degree then was wow, you know, a master's degree. On top of which, teaching. Now, my, I come a family of teachers. I actually taught uh, English. I taught actually college English when I moved to Florida. Wow. Um, but so I, I and was. You, you've done all this, and you're so young. That's amazing. You wish. <laughs> you should see me from the inside. Okay, so, so um, growing up in the New York State system, yep. after you graduate and you're going to teach, you have to have 15 hours uh, or a master's degree within um, uh, no 30 hours or a master's degree within I think two years of graduating, or you lose your certificate to teach right. in the state of New York. That's so right. that kind of puts you on a path to getting a, a, a master's degree. Right. Okay. But I don't think everybody back in the 60s was running off and getting a master's degree. No, they were definitely not. Now they today, and here's where I want you to come in. Today, it's a whole, it's a different ball game, isn't it? It is a completely different ball. Okay. Game. Let's talk it's, about that. It, in, in a sense, in many fields, in many industries, with many employers, a master's degree seems to be replacing a bachelor's as the 
benchmark or the educational requirement for entry-level positions uh, in my field of student personnel services, admissions, financial aid, student affairs. When I started out in 1980 as an admissions counselor, I basically... Where was that, where was that done? That was in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I went to my undergrad. Good pretzels. I, I'm, I'm sorry? Good pretzels. Yeah, you got that right. Excellent pretzels. <laughs> yeah, Tom Stern, I remember that. They're the best. <laughs> uh, at any rate, I had, I had good people skills, and I had a bachelor's degree, and that was enough. I got, a, I got an entry-level position. Just a few years ago, in my most recent position at Columbia University in New York, we had a position for an admissions counselor in the particular school I was working in. We advertised the position, and a, the requirement educationally was a master's just for an entry-level position. It, it is, and that's happening in, in many areas. They are now requiring uh, the master's degree. I spoke to a group of human resource professionals not too long ago and learned very much firsthand from them. If they, if they advertise a position, oftentimes they'll, pay, they'll make two piles when the first applications and resumes start coming in. One pile is for folks who've earned up through a bachelor's degree. The other is those who've gone beyond and earned a master's degree. Now, that doesn't mean that they hire a master's uh, degree recipient every time, but they start with that list. That's the list they start with. And so it does appear that this is becoming more of a requirement. And again, one of the reasons I wrote Roadmap was to help people understand that this is not it is really not unattainable. It, it is definitely doable. It's affordable. It is easier to do this than some folks, many folks, may think. Well, that all right. Now that you segue, that was a good segue, Don. Oh, okay. uh, getting into financing—that's something yes. I'm very hip to right now. Because a, it's not cheap living in Chicago. He lives no, in Lincoln Park. No, it's not. And he's three blocks off of uh, of Lake Michigan, so okay. he, he has a nice apartment. Bless his heart, and um, yep. but it's not cheap. No, it isn't. And, and the school is pretty expensive for a yes, master's degree. Now, but he has scholarships, right? And he has a federal loan. Okay. And he's doing great, and he works. You know, Good. he's he actually works at the college, and okay. and he can teach at the college once he starts his uh, his postgraduate work. He's yep. allowed to go teach the one hundred level courses at DePaul, which he will. Excellent. Okay. Now. But now, let's talk about the. Why is it a, mis, a mistake to think that it, you know financially it, it's so painful to get a, a master's degree or, or beyond that? Well, one of the things that I think makes folks think, and understandably so, that this is going to be too costly or unattainable financially, is that in most cases the the annual cost of education goes up higher than the annual cost of inflation. I'm not sure why that's been allowed to happen over the years, but it has been. And so college tuition goes up a, a bit of a chunk every year, and the higher these costs go, and especially when we're in a time now of recession economically, sometimes people might think, well, what are you talking to me about a graduate education for of all times when we're in a downturn in the economy? Well, here's why. There are three or four major resources of financial income that folks don't think about that can help them really end up earning a graduate degree for free or close to it. Now, your son is doing some of these already. Let me talk about the first one that, sure. that oftentimes folks don't think about, and that is working full-time or part-time at the institution where you're attending. I did this both at the master's level, and by the way, I wasn't in my 20s when I got either of my graduate degrees. I earned my graduate, my master's degree in, in my 30s and my doctoral degree in my 40s, so I was certainly not the, the traditional graduate student that was coming right out of college. I got a job in both cases, both my master's and doctoral programs, I got a full-time job working at the institution I was attending. Now, did it take me a little longer to get my degrees? Yes, but what was the upside? 
Well, I had a salary, I had full benefits, and included in those benefits was full tuition. I paid no tuition. And so uh, in the second year of my master's program, I was virtually going free of charge, and actually they were paying me because I was working for them. In my doctoral program, the last three years of my program at Northwestern was fully funded because I was working full-time. That is an incredible uh, opportunity and an amazing way to help yourself pay for what, what you're doing educationally. Here's a couple of others. Most state governments, the, the Department of Education, for instance, in Florida or in Illinois or in, in any state, has funding available for graduate students, and it is not loans. It is some, there is scholarship funding available. There's also funding available at the, at, the, uh, government, at, the, at the head government office, the U.S. Department of Education in Washington. They have funds available. Millions of dollars go unspent every year because folks do not know that there are funds available through the federal government or at the state level. Finally, there are many organizations like uh, civic groups, like the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Elks Club, for instance, who offer scholarships. Now, these aren't as huge, but there's at least every little bit helps, and they make scholarships available to folks who live in their area that are going to be going on to advance their education. And in some cases, if you are a member of a religious organization or, or a denomination, or like, like the Methodist Church, let's say, there are times where they will offer scholarships to members of their denominations to go on and, and get education. And you add all of these up. If you're working full-time or part-time at one of these institutions, you're getting some help from the federal or state government ed department of education. You're getting a civic organization to support you, maybe the Chamber of Commerce. And finally, you happen to get a denominational scholarship, let's say. You could end up with thirty-five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 of income that is, that is not something that is a loan. You don't have to pay it back that you can use to finance your education. When I graduated from my master's and doctoral programs, the amount of debt I had was minuscule compared to most of those that were graduating with me. It is absolutely doable financially. Well, that's terrific. And, and you're right. Um, our family, my son, on his own, by the way, because he, he just took this on to himself because he wasn't living at home right. when he applied to graduate school. He went to FSU as well. Okay. And um, he couldn't wait to leave Tallahassee. He said, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, there's not even good Chinese food, Dad. There's nothing here. Oh, no. Very bad. <laughs> so he just loves Chicago. It's like, wow, there's culture here. But um, he went ahead, and you're right, he did find federal funding. Because uh, he got a great nothing loan from the government. Good. And, and he did get jobs on the campus, and he works in the education department at DePaul. That's right. So, um, and when he goes full-time, he, uh, he gets a 50% deduction in tuition. Correct. And plus, he, you're right, he gets benefits, which helps yeah. me, because at some point he can't be on my health insurance anymore. He's too you old. Bet. So, so that's up. good. Now, now let's go back to some of the reasons why. And right from the start in your book, you talk about the uh, uh, you know um, incomes yep. and the income with a bachelor's and income with a master's degree. Yes. So if you look at the big picture, yeah, you're, uh, you're uh, from my perspective, I would think you're always better off having a master's degree because you're going to add ten, twelve thousand dollars or more annually to your uh, you know your gross income. Rich, you're exactly right. The most recent census information from the U.S. Uh, census D Division or Department uh, tells us that master's degree holders earn 24% more annually than their bachelor's degree holder counterparts do. If you have a doctorate, it's 70% more. So there is definitely a return on investment, so to speak, in terms of not only just having the credential by your name or on your resume, but you, there is actually a, an economic benefit to doing this. You definitely can command a higher salary. 
if you're moving from one job to another or starting out in an entry-level position, if you have a master's degree, the salary will be higher than if it's, if it's a bachelor's, no doubt about it. Uh, l- let's talk about the book for a second because it's yeah. it's an interesting book. It's a quickie read. Yes. It, it's it and it's inter. <laughs> you know, it's it's traditional publishing, but it's an interactive book. Now that sounds I, that al- almost oxymoronic. Purpose. Thank you for saying that because that was my desire. I wanted this to be something people could easily read. You can you could basically go through it in a, in an evening if you want to. It's not it's not exhaustive. It's not uh, it's it's not this incredibly academic language that would put people off. It is it is a very readable book. Yes. Well, because I think, here's the deal, and I just went through this, a, a different type of a process, but somewhat analogous with, with my younger son. Yes. When he tried to figure out where he was going to college, um, we went through the same process that you're explaining here, but on a different level. Right. And there is a, a schedule. There is a chronology. There That's is right. a path that you must follow because right. it's just not willy-nilly and it's not a capricious decision. No, it isn't. So um, let's talk about that and how okay. your book uh, really takes you down the, the path and uh, you know leaves a grain of sand so you can see which way to go. I would love to do that, Rich. I, we divided the book into three, three main chapters. The fourth chapter is more of a, of a frequently asked questions by different folks that are in different parts of the process, be they inquirers, applicants, admitted students, or current students. But the first three chapters basically take you through starting with chapter one, which is doing the research on the graduate schools that you're thinking about and and following a checklist of items to make sure you're doing up to the point that you actually submit your applications. In my opinion and based on my experience, the biggest mistake many prospective graduate students make is not doing their research up front and kind of waiting until the last minute just getting some applications and starting to fill them out without really knowing very much about the institution, about how that particular institution operates, and whether or not they really think that program is a good match for them. So the reason I put the checklist in Chapter 1 was to really help people space this out over a 12-month period is what I suggest. 12 months before you actually apply is a good time to start doing your research, creating a spreadsheet with all of your options, or, or if you don't want to do it on a spreadsheet, a list with all of them, and actually starting to make some comparisons so that when the time comes to apply, you are very familiar with these programs that you've chosen, and they're the ones that you really believe are, are the best match for you. Chapter 2 then takes you through the application process. And it wasn't written in the sense of how to manipulate the director of admissions to really like you and decide to admit you. It it wasn't that, because I want to tell you, having been on the other side of the table, admissions officers can readily detect when people are trying to pull the wool over their eyes. We're not psychologists, but when you read 25,000 applications in your career, you begin to detect when people are trying to to fake things. So this chapter is, is written in more from the standpoint of how can you prepare the best application you can, be yourself, Put your best foot forward. Avoid some of the major pitfalls applicants often fall into. I I have a section in that chapter called The Seven Deadly Sins for Applicants. Um, Very simple mistakes they make, but it it can make or break their application. And then finally, when you get to the point of enrolling in the graduate program of your choice, how do you succeed and make the most of the experience? As a dean of students, in one of my positions, I sat across from students who would come into my office. They were weeping. They were angry. They were frustrated. They were discouraged. And they were, they were going to be dropping out of the program or withdrawing, feeling as though they had been misled somehow or this didn't end up being what it, all it could have been for them. And so based on several years of counseling students who were having difficulties in their graduate experience, 
I put together a chapter that I felt would provide some essential tips on how best to succeed once you are actually enrolled in the program. And one other quick thing, on the application chapter, I have a section on what to do if you are denied or waitlisted. Oftentimes, the letter you get back from the admissions committee is not going to be an admission letter. But either way, if you get waitlisted or denied, that is not the end of the road. That does not mean it's, it's impossible. I was denied at Northwestern when I applied as, as a doctoral candidate, and within a month, we turned that around and I got admitted. What was so, your secret? Well, in the, in the case of Northwestern, when they sent me my letter, I took about three days to kind of cool off and calm down because nobody likes to be rejected. It's not a nice feeling, and I, I kind of got my emotions under control. And then I picked up the phone and called them in the admissions office, and I, I just said, I, I just received your letter. Um, while I'm disappointed, I do understand that you have a lot of applications, and I, I was wondering if you'd be able to share with me what it was that caused my application to be less competitive. And in this case, they did. And what we discovered was that one of my test scores that I'd sent them, they had never received. And so they had made a decision without all of the information in the application. They allowed me to send that updated test score information and then also asked me for some additional, an additional essay and an additional letter of recommendation, which I made no arguments about. I said, absolutely, yes, I'll get that to you. I did so. Not only within about three weeks, Rich, they sent me an admission letter, but not only was I admitted, they actually offered me one full year of coursework toward the degree. They knocked off one year of, of, of doctoral study, gave me that as, as, a, as a transfer credit based wow. on my admission. Within one month, it completely changed. Now, I know that doesn't happen in every case. Not going to happen in this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, having been a director of admissions until just this past year when I went full-time to promote my book, uh, I can tell you that, that admissions decisions do get changed. Deny decisions do get changed on occasion. A lot of it depends on how the applicant handles himself or herself. If they get upset and start yelling and screaming and ranting and raving and Nobody arguing, wants of that. course, that's yeah. not going to do it. No. But if there is someone who this is a first-choice school, they, they want to make sure that everything got evaluated, they want to ask maybe for a second chance, can I do something else? There are times when deny decisions do get changed. I can tell you that. That does happen. So uh, anyway, that's, that's what, what Roadmap is about. It's really an A to Z guide for folks, as you mentioned earlier, very conversational. It's comprehensive, but it's, it's very conversational, and it is definitely an easy read. No, it's a simple read, I have to tell you, because I, I read it just the other day. And, well, thank you. But I highlighted it. Because I, I one one quickie thing, don't go long into this, but okay. what moron would have a recommendation letter and then have the person just rip them apart in a recommend? <laughs> I looked at that and it said, and I have a big yellow question mark it, on page forty-three. It's I like, tell you, it, how it can this be? Fine. It baffles me every time it happens, but it does. I don't understand it, but obviously that's a huge deadly sin for it's one of the. I would think so. Sins. Don't do it. Yeah, I mean, which really bodes well to say. Must know the person you're recommending for a recommendation letter. You Just make sure they know you're doing this, because if they really hated you in eighth grade, you're in trouble. Just be aware of that. Be clear make on sure that. sure you pick the right one. So how do people find this book? It's on my website, uh, Rich, which is Grad School Roadmap. That's all one word, gradschoolroadmap.com. There's information there about my background. There's, there's other information from folks who've read the book and uh, an opportunity to put an order in if, if someone would like. It makes a great Christmas gift, by the way. Well, there it is. Uh, Roadmap for Graduate Study, a guide for prospective graduate students. And by the way, that's just not, you know, my, my 24-year-old or my 18- or 20-year-old. 
uh, and I was 20, by the way, when I was doing this. Yep. Uh, it's for adults who are working. I mean, you people can get, I, I work with a number of people who got their PhDs. It took them three and a half, four years yep. at night, but they did it. But they did it. You know, and, and, and we now have on, the, the advantage of online degree programs, which are getting better. I'm going to be probably adding a new chapter in the book on that down the road as, as these programs expand, but there's online options. It is absolutely doable. It is attainable. It's affordable, and it makes a financial difference in your life when you do it as well. Are, are you still working at all in, in the college environment, and if you're not, I, do you miss it? I, I do miss it, but I'm also very much enjoying my new career, Rich, of promoting the book. I travel. I do speaking engagements. If anyone in your listening audience is interested, you can find information out about that on my website. I speak to groups of students. I speak to parents. I do coaching with graduate students. I'm, I'm actually having a blast. It, it's, I, I do miss some of the day-to-day -day interaction with students, but I still have it through this resource, and I, I'm enjoying it very much. You know, the funny thing, and we have about 30 seconds, I enjoy out of all the things I've done, and I've been in media for 30 years, and wow. in publishing, and then I got into radio just a, about a year or so ago. Yeah, um, teaching college was was just a hoot. I really loved it. It's it's a wonderful. It was a wonderful career for me. I could not have picked a better one. No, it's it's a great <laughs> life, particularly if you're in Chicago and you can actually go to a real museum. You got it. Well, listen, Donald, it was great having you on the show. Thank I know you, you gave Rich. some good some good advice to the folks listening, and you reach a few wow. thousand people down here. So I am so glad. It was great to talk with you. Happy holidays you to too. you and your audience, Rich. Stay well. Stay warm in Chicago. I will. All right. Take care now. Ciao. Well, you know what? The whole point is I just went through this whole routine with my son, Michael, about the Ph.D. and how important it is. And I just went through this college thing with my son, Philip, who uh, hopefully will get into all the colleges he applied to. So far he is, but it's only two out of about seven right now. We'll, we'll wait over another few weeks. But we'll be back tomorrow on the Rich Rothman Show on 880 The Biz. And I look forward to seeing you here the same time, 5 o'clock. Stay well. Drive well. Good night. We'll be back tomorrow for more of the good. Then I would have done it all. The bad. Film television and theater. The only thing left to be radio. The business. That's just for ugly people. This is the Rich Rothman Show. Ah, who am I kidding? I belong in radio. <laughs>